But Australia is here, we'll stay here. We're committed to being with Papua New Guinea at this time and into the future. Through the PNG Australia partnership, we have a long collaboration with the government of PNG and Health. Sport is such a powerful tool at so many levels, but definitely at the community level. Align our work to PNG's strategic frameworks and plans in the education sector. Dispala partnership, Emmy strong in Sindown, Australia and PNG. of climate change on different sectors of society are interrelated. Drought can harm food production and human health. Flooding can lead to disease spread and damages to ecosystems and infrastructure. Human health issues can increase mortality, impact food availability, and limit worker productivity. Climate change impacts are seen throughout every aspect of the world we live in. Hello and welcome to AHC On Air. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miai. On this month's program, we focus on the issue of climate change and the ongoing commitment by the Australian government to support PNG in addressing climate change challenges. Joining me on the program will be Global Green Growth Institute Country Representative Saki Suisolia, who will speak about the work the Institute is doing around climate change resilience under the support provided through the PNG Australia Partnership. I will also speak to Climate Change and Development Authority Manager for National Communications Eric Sarut about the priority areas of the authority in addressing climate change challenges. But more on this later in the program. The governments of Papua New Guinea and Australia affirm their joint commitment to work together to advance effective actions on climate change. The Paris Agreement reinforces the value of regional cooperation in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and increasing resilience, and parties recognize the benefits of sharing knowledge and expertise in delivering nationally determined contributions. So, what are Australia's leaders saying about their intentions on climate change? Australian Foreign Minister, Senator the Honourable Penny Wong, says it is about raising Australia's ambitions at home while also boosting assistance to the Pacific community. But when it comes to climate action, Pacific nations have led the way for a long time. You have called on us to act, we have heard you and we have responded. So Australia has already enshrined in law a much more ambitious carbon emission reduction target, net zero by 2050 and 43% this decade. So within the decade, 83% of Australia's energy supply will be renewable. And we want to bid to co-host a future UN Conference of the Parties with Pacific Island countries who have led the way for so long and who have so much to lose. 
We are also boosting our support for the Pacific region to address the climate emergency and achieve their development goals. That was Australian Foreign Minister Senator the Honourable Penny Wong highlighting the importance of raising Australia's ambitions at home while also boosting climate change assistance to the Pacific community. The recently concluded United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27, drew in world leaders to discuss issues on climate change and finding solutions. Also in attendance was Australia's Minister for International Development and the Pacific, Honourable Pat Conroy. Here, he describes the key areas for negotiation and the need for rapid action. I think there's a sense of urgency. I think people realise that the Glasgow Treaty last year was historic. Uh, if all the commitments from the Glasgow Treaty are fulfilled, we can keep global warming to 1.8 degrees. Obviously, we need to keep it to 1.5 degrees, so it's a start. So this conference is all about getting those commitments operationalised, getting them set in the rule book, and getting every country to explain its mechanisms to achieve those climate targets. Importantly, also investing in climate finance and adaptation so that the climate change that is unavoidable uh, we're dealing with through seawalls, desalination plants, uh, supporting people in the Pacific, for example, which is a key focus of me. We just heard from Australian Minister for International Development and the Pacific, Honourable Pat Conroy, speaking about the key areas for negotiation at COP27 and the need for rapid action. I'm now joined by colleagues from the Australian High Commission Climate Change Programme talk more about the work they do in the climate change space. I'll let them both introduce themselves. I'm, I'm Harry Aurere and uh, I work with the, uh, the climate change uh, program here at the Australian High Commission. My name's Ruben Seaton. I work um, with Harry in the climate change team um, at the Australian High Commission. Thank you Ruben and Harry and welcome to the program. To start, Harry, can you tell us about the climate change program here at the High Commission and the work being done in partnership with PNG government agencies? Uh, we have a, a strong bilateral uh, climate change partnership between PNG and Australia. Uh, since 2018, we have worked uh, together under the PNG Australia Climate Change Action Plan, or in short, it's a PACAB to share expertise and uh, support PNG's climate uh, ambitions. We work closely with PNG's Climate Change and Development Agency, uh, in short CCDA, but we also collaborate with other, or with the Conservation and Environmental Protection Agency, Department of Foreign Affairs, the Forest Authority, National Fisheries Authority, and other several agencies. We manage uh, several climate change investment at the Australian High Commission. Our flagship uh, initiative is the Climate Resilient Green Growth uh, Project, which worked at the national and provincial level to improve long-term planning for climate change and attract uh, significant international climate finance. Uh, we've also worked with targeted uh, communities to de deliver small uh, grants, focusing on conservation, food and water security, 
mangrove uh, protection and climate smart agriculture. And we also support a UN uh, food and agriculture organization, or FAO, project aimed at improving uh, PNG's regulations to allow forest uh, carbon credit schemes known as uh, RED Plus or R-E-D-D. We also assist in delivering other Australian government programs like the Indo-Pacific Carbon Offset Scheme, IPCOS, which uh, will support PNG's development of robust domestic uh, carbon market. This initiative combines the ongoing uh, underground knowledge of PNG's climate change and development uh, authority and the technical ex expertise of Australia's Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water. We are also excited to support uh, continued Australian initiatives focused on blue carbon, nature-based solutions and ocean management. Over to you, Ruben. What are the Australian government's emerging priorities on climate change in the Pacific region, including PNG? The Australian government's deeply committed to taking real and significant climate action at home and establishing Australia as a climate leader internationally. We will listen to our Pacific partners as we stand shoulder to shoulder in responding to this crisis. And also we'll deliver new climate finance for the region, beginning with increases to our aid budget announced last month. Australia wants to supercharge the transition to renewable energy in the region and develop economic opportunities of decarbonisation for Australia and our region. And PNG has a significant opportunity to capitalise on this transition. Through our conversations with colleagues in Port Moresby and provincially, we understand accessing climate finance is a top priority for PNG. However, several barriers exist which have prevented PNG from accessing its fair share of these international funds. In consultation with our PNG government partners, we are exploring options on how to best support PNG in making these processes and financial management systems more effective. To address PNG's identified need for high quality climate resilient infrastructure, the Australian Government has also announced a new Pacific Climate Infrastructure Financing Partnership and through the PNG Oz Partnership, Australia is making a significant investment in PNG's roads, ports, power and social infrastructure. So we're keen to ensure these high quality projects meet the challenges of a changing climate. We will be excited to share some more details on this initiative as it's confirmed. With COP27 underway, how have Australia and PNG cooperated on advancing shared priorities at the gathering? It's an Australian priority to ensure Pacific voices are heard on the international stage. That's why we were very pleased to support a week-long negotiator training course for 28 um, PNG officials, um, 14 men, 14 women. Um, who travelled to COP27, delivered in October through the Global Green Growth Institute. Australia also has a long-standing partnership with the Women's Environment Development Organisation uh, to support female climate negotiator attendance at these UN climate conferences. And this is an initiative uh, which continued this year. We're also delighted to be able to showcase the significant progress made under the Climate Resilient Green Growth Project that Harry mentioned earlier. Um, and we did that through a high-level event um, at COP27. Australia's new climate change ambassador, Kristen Tilley, spoke about the successful model to plan for climate finance at the provincial level, 
which can now be replicated across PNG and across the Pacific region. It's also the first COP meeting for both of our respective ministers, uh, PNG's Minister the Honourable Simo Kalepa and Australia's Minister the Honourable Chris Bowen. And I'm very pleased to say that the ministers held their first bilateral meeting on Monday um, and I hope it's the start of a very strong partnership over the course of this parliament and beyond. We're also looking forward to many opportunities for future collaboration, including the potential of co-hosting COP31 with Pacific Island countries in 2026, which would provide a unique opportunity to further elevate the PACAP partnership and bring Pacific priorities front and centre on the global stage. Thank you, Harry and Ruben, for telling us about the Australian government's emerging priorities on climate action and the work being done in partnership with PNG government agencies. We will now take a short break. On the other side of the program, we will hear from the Global Green Growth Institute on the work it is doing in the country under the support provided through the PNG Australia partnership. Stay tuned. Supporting women and girls to participate fully in political, economic and social life is important for both Australia and Papua New Guinea. Australia supports the government of Papua New Guinea to achieve and implement their plans such as the National Gender-Based Violence Strategy and the Sorcery National Action Plan. Our priorities are increasing women's leadership and influence, increasing women's economic empowerment and violence prevention and response. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, this is AHC On Air, the Australian High Commission's monthly radio program that features the work and partnerships in the various sectors under the PNG Australia Partnership. This month, we focus on the issue of climate change and the ongoing commitment by the Australian government to support PNG in addressing climate change challenges. Joining me now is Global Green Growth Institute country representative, Saki Suisoliam. Welcome, Saki. Can you give us a brief overview of what Global Green Growth Institute or Triple GI is doing and its priority areas in PNG? Yeah, thanks. Uh, DGGI is a 10-year-old uh, international intergovernmental organization that was founded in 2012 to support member and partner countries uh, under the UNFCCC uh, to implement their uh, nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement 2015. Primarily, this involves uh, helping countries transform their economies towards a low emission, green growth and climate resilient development model. And uh, that is really in response to the threat of uh, global warming and climate change. DGGI basically provides services um, along its value chain. So what we do when we uh, countries request to become a member, we come and set up our office here. We have a high level country agreement. And then the first thing we do is that before we can do anything is to undertake a um, green growth potential assessment in that country to find out uh, and, uh, what are the climate change challenges that are the country is facing, uh, what are the things it's already doing and where the gaps are and what are the country's priorities in, in, uh, in addressing the gaps. So for us, in terms of priorities that we're working in, um, our flagship project in PNG is the Climate Resilience Green Growth Project. 
the CRGG project, which is actually funded by Australia. So what happens here is that um, Australia and uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, as you know, they have a PNG uh, Australia partnership and where they have um, um, a common interest in addressing the climate change challenges in this country. And then we've stepped in as a delivery partner and together uh, we've developed um, this project uh, which aims to um, um, assist Papua New Guinea in three main areas. One is to, uh, we, because Papua New Guinea is such a big country, um, we've decided that uh, best to take a pilot approach. We're working first on, on and in this phase one, on three provinces, which are Anger, Billen Bay, and uh, New Ireland. So we're working with these uh, provincial governments to address their climate change, uh, develop, sorry, their development plans to mainstream green growth and climate change into those plans to make them uh, those, those uh, provinces become more climate resilient uh, in terms of their policy agenda. And then we are working with those um, uh, provinces as well to identify uh, priority areas for investment and we're developing uh, projects and mobilizing climate finance that will help these provinces. So in terms of the priority areas we are working, working on, this include uh, solar power and renewable energy. Um, for example, in Alotau, we are helping uh, uh, develop a biogas plant at the new, uh, East New Britain uh, palm oil company. So it's taking the waste from uh, the palm oil plantation and converting that into energy. And that's clean energy, it's renewable energy. And then, you know, it's a pilot. If it works well, then we're looking at other plantations in, in Papua New Guinea and converting that. So now we're using waste from palm oil to make energy, which is renewable and hence to the country's energy supply. Prime Minister James Morape has repeatedly said that accessing international climate finance is a top priority for PNG. Can you describe how Climate Resilient Green Growth or CRGG project has supported PNG's efforts in this area? Thank you. Um, you know, first of all, the Prime Minister is correct. It is good for the country that he is giving it high priority. Uh, theoretically, for PNG to address climate change, climate finance is critical to fund projects that will help implement the climate change policies and development policies of the country so that it can benefit people and the communities and then help the country transform towards a more resilient, sustainable um, um, uh, setup here. Um, as you know, PNG is a, a low, low um, uh, middle income country where domestic financial resources is actually limited. So uh, PNG has proactively uh, needs to proactively secure international funds to finance its climate change initiatives. Uh, there are several global financing facilities like GCF with a mandate to invest uh, in the United Global Response to Climate Change to mitigate and reduce carbon emission and help vulnerable countries and communities adapt to climate change. There are other facilities, of course, like Adaptation Fund, uh, Global Environmental Fund, um, and so forth, which have uh, buckets of money that's been pulled by um, develop, uh, developed countries to help developing countries in their efforts to climate change. At the same time, you also have other institutions like uh, multilateral banks, the ADB, the World Banks, etc. And of course, you have the traditional donors as well, like Australia, DFAT, New Zealand, MFAT, um, uh, United Kingdom, uh, FCDO, um, Korean, Qatar um, Fund, which are all present here in the Pacific. So, um, you know, but these funds, while they're available, it's hard to access them because the process to accept them is quite complex and complicated. You know, for example, first of all, you, 
you have to develop project ideas, then you develop a concept note. And there are um, templates that need to be um, um, followed and um, um, there are criteria that needs to be met. And then you need to have experts to, to do this. And then once concept notes are approved, then um, you have to develop the full funding proposal. So people need to understand that these are not uh, things that can be done overnight. It can take as long as like 10 months to one year. Yeah, so we need to be patient. So for GGI, that's where we step in. We have the expertise to do this. And under CRGG, uh, what we're doing is that we're developing project ideas, we're developing concept notes, we are accessing these funds. And then, um, you know, we have projects, for example, that uh, we now develop a full funding proposal for the uh, Smart Agriculture Project and um, from the Adaptation Fund. That's $10 million US. Listeners, that was Global Green Growth Institute country representative Saki Suisalia talking to us about the work the institution does in the country. We will now take a short break, more when we return. Hi, my name is Loa Dikatoa. I do weightlifting as the sport. It takes me around the world and it has given me a name. Once the pandemic hit, uh, our institute had to shut down and we all had to return back home. The training wasn't the same. We have family obligations in a village set up as such. I had to get my vaccination because I didn't want to die. I had to get that in order to continue what I do and to protect my family. I know and I believe that I have been protected. My advice to everyone is always wear masks and COVID-19 and Delta is around. COVID-19 and Big Pla heavy. Kissing vaccine, Nabayumi strong. Welcome back to AHC On Air. Before the break, we heard from Global Green Growth Institute country representative Saki Suisolia about the Climate Resilient Green Growth or CRGG project, which is supported by the Australian government and implemented in partnership with the PNG Climate Change Development Authority. Next up, I have the Climate Change and Development Authority Manager for National Communications, Eric Sarut, who will discuss with us the priority areas of the authority in addressing climate change challenges in the country. Welcome, Eric, and thank you for joining us on the program. Australia and the Global Green Growth Institute have been implementing the Climate Resilient Green Growth Project with CCDA since 2019. Now, from your perspective, what are the main achievements and the lessons learned from the project to date? I've, I've worked with, you know, different projects within CCDA, like, but this project sort of, it sort of stood out from other pro pro projects that have worked. Uh, over the years is basically um, in terms of uh, assisting the, the provinces in terms of systematic way. What do, you, what do I mean by systematic way in terms of like um, helping the provinces that to develop the uh, provincial plan? You know, uh, that's something that I have, I, have, I have seen 
uh, which is a bit different from other proje uh, projects and programs that I've I've involved with. Um, like for example, for Hinga Province, uh, through the CRGG project, what we have done is we have, after conducting the uh, CRGG assessment, we have helped the provincial administration to you know, review the provincial development plan, which is the 10-year development plan. So after that, you know, when the project came on board, they realized the importance of you know climate change, and they have included climate change as one of the key pillar uh, within their provincial development, the 10-year plan, 10-year provincial development plan. So which is which is a you know good achievement for this organization and for the for the DFED as well so um, you know in terms of that is something that is we have been talking about in the long in in the in for many years huh? like mainstream climate change into sectors at the provincial level at the subnational level so that the sectors can able to sustain themselves and you know can continue the activities. That's where I see which has been missing. When you see, like, in terms of the, you know, uh, trying to you trying to push the climate change agenda, provinces they go by the books. Just the book, the provincial development plan. In the provincial development plan, they have the budget. You know, the budget is whatever the funding they have. It's it's allocated per the, the plan that they have. They can't do anything out of that 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 plan. So when we sort of take the step. Through that process, that systematic way, I think that's a positive uh, output of this project. PNG hosted its second annual National Climate Summit in September this year. Can you tell us about the preparations for the event and the main summit outcomes? After we had a meeting with uh, this current, the current uh, PNG Australia uh, packet program um, with the DFED team, we had a discussion on that, uh, that plan and along the discussion sort of that idea came about you know why not you know we have a sort of summit where we can bring all the stakeholders together you know you know uh, stakeholders in the private industries in the private sectors at the sub-national level at the national level and see how we can you know uh, so that um, we can see who's doing what where the opportunities uh, where the uh, where the challenges are so one of the key um, outcome of the National Climate Summit is basically the communication signed by the Minister for Climate Change and Environment, uh, Mr. Uh, Simo Kelaba. So that communication has been signed by uh, the Minister, our Minister, Honorable Minister. So basically what we'll be, we are doing at the moment is sort of implementing some activities as per the, uh, the communication. So next year when we uh, host the uh, Summit 23, we will do the presentation for yeah, some of the key outcomes for this year's outcome as well. 2023 will be a big year for climate action and the PNG Australia partnership. How do you think we can best work together under the PNG Australia Climate Change Action Plan to raise ambition and advance shared priorities? There are a number of activities that, I mean, areas there where both countries can work on, uh, but for like I think one of the way I think you should uh, areas that I want to point out is basically in terms of a sort of should be an inclusive approach, like in terms of including all the other sectors in, uh, because like I said at the beginning, uh, because CCDA is only a coordinating coordinating agency, so when it comes to the implementing, it goes back the sectors to, to the other sectors to implement all this climate change adaptation or road plus mitigation 
uh, this uh, priority uh, projects. So uh, inclusiveness in the sense that all implementing sectors, uh, especially the state arms, and, uh, should be involved in the process huh? so that they can take ownership of these programs. Uh, because CCD doesn't have the capacity to uh, you know, implement this project, uh, project. So, you know, as per the climate action plan, I know there's a, there's a lot of areas to work on, like, for example, research and development. Huh? So we have the UPNG, we have NARI, and uh, we have Department of Higher Education, uh, the Department of Higher Education, Research, Science and Technology, that uh, the dearest. So how can we all work together to embark on the uh, climate change-related research program uh, so that, you know, our, our uh, stakeholders can speak the language of climate change? Huh? So that's all I wish want to see. I, I would like to see. Like, if the stakeholders don't speak the language of climate change, we will not get anyway. We can come up with some fancy, come up with all kinds of plan. Come up with CCD can come up with all kinds of plan. DFED can come up with all kinds of plan. But if the you know all these you know stakeholders out there, if they don't understand what we are doing, then it, we will. It will be yeah uh, in yeah out. We will won't we won't move anyway. So it's good to involve them in the process. That's number one. And they need to speak the language of climate change. They need to speak the language of red plus and medication. Uh, Department of Works and Transport need to speak the language of uh, climate change adaptation so that they need to build their climate resilient roads and all these things. So that's where the inclusiveness is very important. So that's something that uh, I would like to see uh, being involved in this, uh, your paradise in this uh, direction plan. And that interview with Climate Change and Development Authority Manager for National Communications, Eric Sarut, concluding this month's program. With the effects of climate change affecting the globe, the Australian government remains committed to supporting PNG and the wider Pacific region in addressing climate change challenges. If you would like to hear past AHC on air episodes, visit the Australian High Commission Facebook page for links to our podcasts. Thank you again for listening in, and until next time, I'm your host, Elizabeth Miai. Bye for now. Australia is here, we'll stay here. We're committed to being with Papua New Guinea at this time and into the future. Through the PNG Australia Partnership, we have a long collaboration with the Government of PNG and Health. Sport is such a powerful tool at so many levels, but definitely at the community level. Align our work to PNG's strategic frameworks and plans in the education sector. Dispala Partnership, Emmy Strong, Sindown, Australia, PNG.